Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, September 27th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 to 22. Ezekiel's vision in the Jerusalem temple continues. Now the prophet sees the coming destruction of Jerusalem, and he sees the glory of the Lord move a little farther away from the Holy of Holies. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Gavin Mize. Pastor Mize serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Pastor Mize, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. I am always glad to be here. As we get started today, Pastor Mize, let's talk a little context. We're in Ezekiel 10 this morning. What should we know about the prophet, his ministry, what he's been prophesying so far as we prepare to look at the text for today? As we look at the text today, one of the things in particular that we're going to want to look at or consider uh, is the glory of the Lord. And throughout all of Ezekiel, uh, we see the importance of the glory of the Lord. But one of the interesting things that we're going to look forward to today uh, in our actual text is the uh, the exile of the glory of the Lord uh, it, 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 Taking, leaving the temple, um, kind of paralleling the, the people uh, in Ezekiel and the cherubim and, and all the other angels. It's, we just got a chock full uh, bunch of texts here. There is quite a bit of text this morning, and the glory of the Lord certainly figures prominently, not only in chapter 10, but throughout the book of Ezekiel and in other places in God's word, just if you could give us sort of a brief, brief synopsis of, of what we should be thinking about, what should we should understand when we hear that phrase, the glory of the Lord, not only in Ezekiel, but scripturally speaking. Well, that's one thing that we're really going to get into, the glory of the Lord and also the presence of the Lord. That, uh, and we're going to speak a little bit about a, a Roman Catholic theologian, by the name of Hans Urs von Balthasar and, and his understanding of the glory of the Lord. But the glory of the Lord uh, in Ezekiel in particular, we talk about the presence and where the presence of uh, the Lord is, the glory of the Lord is. And not to give too much away so that before we get there, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord uh, is there in the incarnation. And we see it again in, at the Mount of Transfiguration, we see it uh, in the resurrection as well, but not quite shining forth like we see it in the Sermon on the Mount or the first chapter of St. John's Revelation. But we can see the certainly see the bookends of the glory of the Lord as the presence of the Lord. And wherever the presence of the Lord is, uh, the cherubim are there to sing the praises of the glory of the Lord as well. All right, lots of lots of connections that we're going to be able to make with other parts of Scripture as we read through Ezekiel 10. We're going to return to some of those very awesome, amazing, sometimes difficult to understand and picture visions that Ezekiel had back in chapter 1. A lot of that imagery comes back in chapter 10. So let's, let's go ahead and read this part of Ezekiel's vision. Again, we're in chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Then I looked, and behold... On the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like a sapphire, in appearance like a throne. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he went in before my eyes. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house, when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court. And the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. And when he commanded the man clothed in linen, take fire from between the whirling wheels, from between the cherubim, 
he went in and stood beside a wheel. And a cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim to the fire that was between the cherubim, and took some of it and put it into the hands of the man clothed in linen, who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a human hand under their wings. And I looked, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub. And the appearance of the wheels was like a sparkling barrel. And as for their appearance, the four had the same likeness, as if a wheel were within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. But in whatever direction the front wheel faced, the others followed without turning as they went. And their whole body, their rims and their spokes, their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes all around, the wheels that, ha that the four of them had. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. And every one had four faces. The first face was the face of the cherub, and the second face was a human face, and the third the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. And the cherubim mounted up. These were the living creatures that I saw by the Kabar Canal. And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when the cherubim lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. When they stood still, these stood still. And when they mounted up, these mounted up with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. These were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Kabar Canal, and I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces, and each four wings, and underneath their wings the likeness of human hands. And as for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the Kabar Canal. Each one of them went straight forward. That's our text for today. That's Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 to 22. Pastor Mize, what, a, what an incredible vision that we've got before us today. Sometimes difficult. I, I said this with chapter 1 of Ezekiel. This is a hard one for me to picture. But I, I feel a little better about it having come through a few chapters of Ezekiel, and I'm looking forward to, to talking about it with you today. So let, let's talk Let's talk through it, you know, as it, as it comes. In the first couple of verses, it says, Ezekiel looked, behold, he sees over the, the heads of the cherubim something like sapphire. He's seeing the throne. And then the Lord speaks to the man who's clothed in linen that we met in chapter 9. What do we have in these first couple of verses that we should pay attention to? Well, you hit the nail on the head firstly right, right there, the, that the first part uh, describes uh, Ezekiel actually looking and beholding this wonderful thing. And what's interesting is that in the New Testament, we don't see Christ's glory or what, I guess what we would call his uh, um, manifesting his divinity very much. Uh, rather, it's it's hidden in in mask uh, in his humanity. But here we have, and, and so to finish that thought, we don't have that scene very much in in Christ. Here we have it in full force. Um, we have the glory of the Lord, and one of the really neat things that that we're probably going to get into is it's God leaving the temple. But it's God personified. It's God in a uh, in motion, not only leaving the temple, but sitting. And what is he sitting on? He's sitting on uh, the actual chariot. And that's and that's what's really cool about it, is that that's that's what we're describing, or what what is being described to us uh, is this this beautiful thing that God is sitting on. Uh, goes from the temple in which he constructed using directions to the very seat in which he created and the cherubim uh, fly ar around him, lauding his name. And then we'll get into the next temple, 
uh, here in just a little bit. But like you said, it, uh, first we see the I looked and I beheld beholding God in all of his glory in no way that we have seen God up to this point in the Old Testament. Um, we, we have we've seen or we, we have read about God's glory in the in the Old Testament up to this point. But here we actually see a description of God uh, and God personified, God in action, God in verb, which is, as you know, is very, very important as we continue the verbs of God. And as the verbs of God happen, as God moves, I love that that the angels continuously uh, laud and laud and herald the motion of God, because we'll see it again in the incarnation birth. And then, of course, uh, resurrection. And well, and, and even to the point where they minister to him uh, after the temptations. And then we uh, move on to the uh the resurrection of the empty tomb. Thinking about, you know, again, this is a vision that Ezekiel is seeing. So he's he is seeing the glory of the Lord here. And and you've talked about it in terms of its beauty, which I think we'll, we'll dwell on a little bit as, as we continue. But it, it strikes me, on the one hand, Ezekiel is seeing a beautiful vision of the glory of the Lord. He's seeing the beauty of the cherubim and this throne on which you know, the Lord is is sitting, it, the glory of God is sitting. So you've got that beauty on the one hand, and yet the, I think it, in this text it's juxtaposed with the, the destruction that the Lord is bringing. And and in the first part of the text, uh, verses, you know, about one through through eight or so, where we have this man clothed in linen, in the, the text we looked at in chapter nine, this man clothed in linen also had this writing case and he was to mark with the sign of the the tau, the last Hebrew letter, kind of looked like a cross, according to our conversation we had yesterday, that he was to mark those as the ones that the Lord would spare. In today's text, the glory of the Lord now speaks and commands this man clothed in linen now to be active in destruction. He is to go and take some of the, the burning coals from between the cherubim in order to scatter them over the city. And it it, it just strikes me how, on the one hand, again, you have that beauty of the vision of the glory of God. And on the other hand, what is the glory of the Lord doing here? Well, the Lord's instruct, instructing this man clothed in linen to bring destruction on his people. It's, it's quite the contrast in pictures there. Uh, absolutely. And I think uh, verse 6 tells us that uh, directly, the man clothed in linen, linen take fire from between the whirling wheels from between the cherub uh and he went in and stood beside the wheel cherub stretched out his hand uh, from between the cherub to the fire that was between the cherub and took some of it and put it into his hands put it into the hands of the man clothed in linen i, I think that's kind of really summarizes your point i know you said one through eight but really six summarizes exactly uh what what you're what you're talking about there Right. I mean, he, he goes—one of the, the things that's interesting and, and perhaps a bit challenging about Ezekiel chapter 10 is as Ezekiel is describing this vision, he kind of goes back and forth between the what's happening, you know, what's this man in linen doing, as well as then the description. So there's there's a narrative here of, of what the glory of the Lord is doing, what this man in linen is doing, intermixed with a description of what things look like. And that's that's one of the challenging things. So yeah, in, in verse two, he gets the instructions. In verse six, there's more instructions and the fire, the coals are actually placed into the hands of this man clothed in linen. It, it strikes me, you know, given again, the gospel nature of the man clothed in linen in the previous chapter, now as one who brings about judgment. I, well, there's a couple of, of parallels, I think. In Revelation 8, there's an angel who takes fire from the altar of incense in his censer, and he scatters it over the earth. Sounds a lot like what this man clothed in linen does in Ezekiel chapter 10. The other, the other thought that I had, it seems similar to what happens in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, where you have those angels who come, and they get Lot and his family out of the city first before the destruction happens. Something similar seems to be happening in Ezekiel 9 and 10 with this man clothed in linen. He marks those who belong to the Lord, who are faithful, 
before he's also the agent of, of destruction here in chapter 10. I, I mean, I, I completely, uh, I really agree with you there. So pastor Mize, again, I just, some, some thoughts that they're that going through my head. We, you've, talked about the glory of the Lord already, and we definitely want to focus in on that. We first meet that phrase in this text in verse 4, and we get more description here of what's happening with the glory of the Lord, what the glory of the Lord looks like. Help us into to what we're seeing in these first verses, like verses 3 through 5, with the glory of the Lord. Oh, do you mind if we uh, just read it for our, for our listeners? Go ahead, read it again, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house when the man uh, when the man went in and a cloud filled the entered court. Uh, the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim to the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Uh, and the sound of wings and uh, the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. That's verses three uh, through five. The glory of the Lord in particular is always, it, we can understand it as the countenance of, of the Lord, that uh, the, the glory of the Lord is that which shines upon uh, those in whom he has declared righteous. But not only that, but also that uh, the eyes of the faithful can see the glory of the Lord uh, and in that, it's really indescribable, and Hans Urs von Balthasar that we're going to talk about uh, discusses the glory of the Lord, that, that the only way to be able to describe the glory of the Lord uh, in our seeing is by our seizing. And what I mean by, what he means by that is that when we approach the glory of the Lord, we are seized by the very uh, uh, beauty the uh, absolute grace and mercy that's given to us, but also in that horrible, terrible, uh, terror-filled awe that we have of God. But the only way that we can describe the glory of the Lord outside of the way that the, the way that Scripture describes it is through the divine liturgy, uh, and that that when we discuss the glory of the Lord, we must discuss it in terms of the divine service. And that same, what he calls uh, uh, aesthetic arrest, that that when we approach the glory of God, uh, and I, I know I'm taking the text and I'm putting it into, uh, into our sacramental theology, uh, but he calls it the, uh, this aesthetical arrest where we are seized, brought up, and laid a hold of by the very hands of God, uh, and the glory is shown into us uh, that we understand by faith, and that we, uh, we receive that through uh, the divine service. So when we describe the divine service, we are describing the very glory of God. If, if I can try to co- connect that to to the text and maybe the larger biblical theology that we're talking about here, I, I think the reason that the divine service fits into this conversation is because of, if I can say it like this, the, the incarnational nature. I know that, that sounds really fancy. I don't mean to be terribly fancy. But the incarnational nature of the glory of the Lord. On right. the one hand, the glory of the Lord is something that in and of itself— is totally totally unapproachable. I mean, you can think through cases in the scriptures where, particularly in the Old Testament, although it's in the New as well, where someone comes face to face with God and their first reaction is, "I'm going to die." I mean, you know, the you've got Isaiah has that reaction in Isaiah chapter six. You've got the the parents of of Samson have that reaction in Judges chapter thirteen. Peter has a reaction very similar to that in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus performs one of the miracles of the catches of fish, and he says, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. Earlier in Ezekiel in chapter 1, when when Ezekiel realizes that the glory of the Lord has come to him, he falls on his face, just like St. John does in his revelation. So on the one hand, the glory of the Lord is completely unapproachable, unless the Lord brings it to us in a way that's incarnate. He brings it to us in some way, shape, or form. 
one of the ways that that's happened in the Old Testament is through the cloud. It, you know, if you think through the tabernacle, the temple previously, how the cloud came and, and dwelt there in the Holy of Holies, that's the glory of the Lord made manifest in a way that it can be beheld by sinners without killing them. And, and of course, all of this is driving us toward what St. John writes in his first chapter about the glory of the Lord becoming flesh, the word dwelling, tabernacling among us. And I think that's how then we get to the divine service, because still that glory of the Lord comes to us in these incarnational, you know, fleshly ways in word and in sacrament, such that the glory of the Lord doesn't kill us, but actually comes to us for our salvation. Does that, I mean, does that tie into what you're saying, Pastor Mize? Uh, absolutely. And I, I skipped that for sure. Uh, or I, I should say I skipped over that because we are going to get there, particularly with the, with the presence of God. Um, and you, you kind of brought us right into the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is that the presence of, of the, I said this at the very beginning, the presence of the Lord uh, leaving the temple and is seated on uh, this majestic thing that's described for us. But that's not his final verb. That's not his final movement. Uh, his movement or of his presence is directly to the tomb, or excuse me, not the tomb, the womb of St. Mary. And so there, Christ tabernacles. And then we see uh, John 1 where he, where Christ, the presence of God, being that he is God, uh, God personified, um, moves out of, of of Mary's womb, or as, uh, as Ambrose put it, steps forth from the womb of Mary, uh, the, the Lord and King of all. And from there, uh, he continues in this, this three-year motion, this three-year uh, verbiage into his crucifixion and into uh, his ascension, or excuse me, his, his resurrection, and then to his ascension. And then, of course, that is, is you're absolutely right, that is the, the final connection to the glory of, of the Lord in the divine service. Because the divine service is nothing without the fleshly uh, being of Christ, the fleshly and bloodly being of Christ, to, to, to use poor grammar. Uh, so yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, wh where is where is the final glory of God? Uh, and it's in the uh, coming of Christ again to judge both the living and the dead and the life everlasting. Amen. That's that is the final uh, glory of the Lord that we will behold with our eyes and with our own eyes. We shall behold the Lord, mm. that, that, that final movement of the of the glory of God. Mm. So, yes. But between between that, the incarnation and the divine service, there is that uh, that movement of the presence of the Lord. And what we have now is the presence of the Lord in, with, and under uh, the, the bread and the wine, and his true flesh and blood, for the forgiveness of our sins and for the salvation of our soul. So when we're approached with that presence, we have that aesthetical arrest. We are in awe. And then we eat and drink of his flesh and blood, and we become uh, temples because Christ is tabernac tab tabernacling within us as we go into the world and our uh, monstrances of Christ. Hmm. Pastor Mize, just one more thought on this side of the break before we leave it behind concerning the divine service and thinking about the vision that Ezekiel has here. You know, when, when we go to the divine service, and I, I imagine your, your sanctuary there in, I've seen some pictures of it there in Hickory, North Carolina, it has a, a, quite a bit of beauty to it, but not every not every Christian congregation is blessed with a, such a beautiful outward building. And yet I, I think a text like this is a reminder that no matter what we do see in front of us on a Sunday morning, that, that the true beauty that is there is the glory of the Lord coming to us, even if it's, you know, even if we don't see it fully based on whatever the building looks like, we still have this same beautiful vision because 
God is present there with us in his glory to save us. Yeah, I, uh, I recall one time I saw a baptism in a third, you know, it was in a third world country. Uh, and it was a baptism and the baptismal font was a cool whip container. Um, but this cool whip container was heralded and lauded and it was literally carried into the, the service. Uh, and the, the person was baptized in it and to them and to us, it was, that was the most beautiful of all baptismal fonts. Why? Because it held the very grace of Christ. And so just, just to attach that thing to an object, that, that beauty to an object, we do have that wonderful picture. And, we, and that's not to say that we need 24 karat gold chalices and whatnot. Uh, but all that is, is meant to do is to refract back onto exactly what you said. And that's what that cool whip container did. It refracted back to the very beauty of, of the presence of God. And where the presence of God is, is the glory of God. And the angels herald that so that we can understand the very things that, that that's happening with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. We are there with them. And we're, as long as we are there with them, the church triumphant, communing with the church militant, as long as that is that is there, and we are there. And as long as we are there, we are participatory uh, in the beauty of, of God uh, because his glory has shone upon us. Uh, his glory sh shines off of us as well, just like Moses from Mount Sinai come down with the law. Yeah, and so in, in our divine service, that same glory of God is present with us. It is a beautiful thing because the Lord is there. We're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel 10 with Pastor Gavin Mize. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, September 27th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 to 22 with Pastor Gavin Mize. He serves at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Pastor Mize, prior to the break, we were talking about the glory of the Lord, and we will certainly come back to that same con content later in this text as we see the glory of the Lord move and we've hinted at that already, but we're going to come back to that. In between, Ezekiel gives us, again, a description of these cherubim. He'd seen the four living creatures back in chapter 1, hadn't named them cherubim until this text. He's seeing that same vision again. And and we uh, this description is just so amazing. So I'm going I'm to read it again and, and let you comment on, on anything of significance. Uh, verses 9 through 14 of our chapter Ezekiel says, I looked, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub. And the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling barrel. And as for their appearance, the four had the same likeness as if a wheel were within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. But in whatever direction the front wheel faced, the others followed without turning as they went. Their whole body, their rims and their spokes, and their wings and the wheels were full of eyes all around, the wheels that had four of them had. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels, and every one had four faces. The first face was the face of the cherub, and the second face was a human face, and the third the face of a lion, and the fourth the, the, fourth, the face of an eagle. Again, what a, I mean, a fantastic vision in the truest sense of that word. Pastor Mize, as you look through that vision and, and consider what Ezekiel is seeing, what, what should we pay attention to in terms of these cherubim, the wheels, the eyes, everything that's in these verses? Um, as I kept 
uh, reading through these verses and looking through commentaries and all, I, I really I could not be, I couldn't set myself on uh, a, a good explanation on, of, of why certain things were applied to this uh, chariot. But what did uh, stick out in my mind was it it's really a very cha- like like a chalice nature to the uh to the chariot and it's de- describing that which holds or contains god and but but first before we get into that uh and, well let me, let me further explain that uh when i when i say the chalice nature uh, that we have the the chalice on our altar, which holds the blood of Christ, and usually there's a patent on top of that, which holds the the body of of Christ. And, and so the chalice nature of this chariot is that it literally holds God; it holds the glory uh, of the Lord. Uh, and then it that, that very thing, holding being the thing that holds the glory of God, um, the presence of God. It then describes in vivid, vivid detail uh, the the beauty of that chalice. But I want to read what the Lutheran Study Bible has here for the entire description of chapter 10, uh, because it was going to help us with these verses. The vision of the throne hyphen chariot on which the glory sat First described in chapter one, as as you said, Pastor Apple, uh, is here repeated and expanded. The glory takes yet another step away from the most holy place. That's what I was talking about. Um, the the presence of of God, the glory of God, moving uh, out of the temple, uh, and then eventually into the temple of Mary's womb, and then. Uh, in the in, incarnational understanding of of Christ. Uh, but to finish here, the Lord will totally abandon his temple, yet the glory of the, our incarnate Lord will not depart forever. He is gloriously enthroned through baptism in those who have died with him, yet risen again in holiness. So what they say here, I'm, I'm not sure which theologian uh, wrote this, what they say here is that not only will the glory of the Lord uh, enter into uh, into the, the womb of Mary and into uh, the world and into the resurrection and into the ascension, but also it will the glory of the Lord will, will be placed upon us. The countenance of God will be placed upon us in holy baptism that we are made uh, into. Uh, uh, little Christs, little Christians, um, and I, I, I think that that's absolutely beautiful, uh, and that even as we, uh, as as you know, vessels made of, of clay, behold the glory of the Lord uh, in the divine service. As you pointed out, it doesn't mean that it's in brick and mortar per, necessarily, even though that is important. Uh, that is not where we uh, truly understand the, the glory of the Lord. Just like we don't uh, truly understand the church by brick and mortar, but as uh, the the bride of Christ who has faith in in God uh, by the very verb of verbiage of what Christ does on, on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And I could, and particularly on verse fourteen, this is kind of a side note. I couldn't help but. Uh, see the reflection of the the re- revelation uh, of Saint John and the uh, the four evangelists there, uh, just kind of in our face, no no pun intended. Well, we talked about that in in Revelation, excuse me, in Revelation in in Ezekiel chapter one, how the the four faces have throughout the history of the church been thought of in terms of the the four evangelists, and again, we we see that here. What one thing, you know, as as we're thinking about this vision again, and and talking about you know what we're seeing as well in terms of the the movement, I I do think that that really comes to the fore in this part of the vision with the wheels. 
that and the ability of the glory of the Lord to move around on this chariot is a, a very important point that's being made in this, really, not just in chapter 10, but chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 here in Ezekiel, in, in which he's seeing the glory of the Lord move in stages. And and it's it's striking, again, because on the one hand, it's a beautiful vision, and, and to know that the glory of the Lord is is mobile, can can move in this way, I think brings comfort, on the one hand, to Ezekiel and the exiles already in Babylon, to know that even though they are in Babylon, that does not prevent the Lord from being present among them in his glory. On the other hand, in terms of the vision Ezekiel is seeing here, what it means for the temple in Jerusalem, the fact that the glory of the Lord is leaving the temple, that's a rather horrifying thing. And, and we do we do see that happen here in this text. We, we've already seen how the, the glory of the Lord has moved to the to the threshold of the house. And now in verses 18 and 19, if, if I've, this is the way that I, I understand verses 18 and 19. It, the glory of the Lord has been at the threshold of the house. He goes back to his throne now, this chariot over the cherubim. And then all together, the cherubim, this chariot throne, along with the glory of the Lord, they all move in verse 19 to the east gate of the house of the Lord. So he's he's gone farther away from the Holy of Holies, which in the context of Ezekiel has got to, I mean, is, is a matter of judgment upon the temple, upon the people in Judah and Jerusalem who are living there and, and who have been worshiping idols in the temple. There's judgment. And yet, as, as you're putting it into the larger biblical context, there's also going to be comfort to us in this mobility of the glory of the Lord. Can you dig into that a little bit more for us, Pastor Mize? Uh, as, as far as the, uh, the wider biblical understanding of the, of the movement? Any and all uh, of it. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I understand what you're saying about uh, that, that there is some fear moving from the Holy of Holies, particularly for uh, the the Israelites. And yet, not only does that movement away from the Holy of Holies, should not only should it be uh, full of fear, but what they have yet to see is when the presence of the Lord enters into the, the womb of, of Mary and then into the world, uh, we see the first commission and in that first commission we have let, let me let me further explain that for our listeners you know we, we have the great commission uh, that tells us to go into the ethne which means to go into the gentiles not to go into the nations but to go to the gentiles uh, so in order to kind of have a great commission we have to have a first commission well we don't really talk too much about the first commission, number one, because it was pre-crucifixion, whereas the Great Commission was post-crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, but the first commission was to not go to the Gentiles, but to go to the Jews, go to the, the to go to my people. Um, and of course, we know that that the the stone was rejected, but. Uh, we see at that when the presence of the Lord exits the temple in chapter one, further ex- exits the temple here in chapter 10, uh, and then further into the womb of Mary. But then we see the incarnate Christ move closer to the Jew uh, in, in his very presence, in his very body, uh, by the sending of his apostles and disciples out. Uh, to them. So it's not as if the presence of the Lord was abandoning uh, his people forever and ever, but rather he was actually uh, coming, chasing his people and would increase his people in the Great Commission, uh, in in the uh, create creation of uh, the, 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 the Jew, excuse me, the Gentile as his own people. Uh, we're not talking lines in the sand here, but 
uh, hearts being circumcised into uh, the very faith in Christ, in God, in the presence of the Lord, and the glory in which the, the cherubim and seraphim laud and magnify uh, constantly. Hmm. Right. I mean, I don't. Again, I, I think this is this is a, an important point because, it, as you said, it's not as if when the the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, you know, takes this successive journey out of the temple, he's not abandoning his people. At least, and it's easy for us to say that when we've got the full story. But for the for the people of Judah to see this, there is there is still that element of judgment. And I guess that's what I, at least textually here in Ezekiel ten, I don't want us to lose that in, entirely, because I think in doing this, the Lord is reminding His people, look, you've been worshiping idols in the temple. That was part of the vision in Ezekiel chapter eight. And so if you think that my presence is just going to stand idly by and allow for that blatant breaking of the first commandment, right. you've got another thing coming. And I can leave this temple. And, and, and for that context, then, you know, the fact that the Lord says, I can leave that temple is a matter of judgment. Because, you know, I remember we had this conversation in the book of Jeremiah that the people there in Jerusalem thought, as long as the temple's there, we're going to be okay. And, and with this vision in Ezekiel, you get another answer like the prophet Jeremiah said, no, the Lord can and will, in fact, leave this building, and, and that will be judgment for you. And, and in that sense, I mean, you know, there is a—and and I'm not trying to take away—because I, I love the connections you're making. I, I want to keep digging into that. But, but this matter of judgment, I think, is also an important warning for us still that we don't presume upon God, that he has to— that he has to contain himself in places that we prescribe for him. He can put himself wherever he wants, and he has promised to put himself in certain places, and we should go to those places where he's promised to be. But if we start thinking that, oh, I can, I can cause God to be present in my building because of I mean, whatever I think is special about my building, well, he can leave that if he wants. And, and that's, I think, you know, part of the, part of the judgment that is a part of, of chapter 10 and this vision as a whole that we don't want to lose. I mean, I think we need to hear that both law and gospel in this text, I suppose is what I'm saying. Oh, I, I completely agree. Um, and I honestly, I, I'm not sure how much more I can add to, to, to what you said. Uh, and I, I completely, uh, I, I was looking so much at, at the biblical, uh, landscape there and I completely missed that, uh, particularly in, in chapter eight. Um, so I, I apologize for that, but I, I do love your, your connection there because, but, but on the, on the other hand, we would need that judgment and that law brought to us if to, as, as, as if to say, well, we don't need to go to that place, even though God has promised to be there because God is everywhere and if God is everywhere, then that means he's on the fourth hole at my <laughs> favorite uh, uh, golf club. That's right. Ezekiel's um, not saying that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, but, but, uh, but obviously this is a, it's a very wicked, wicked thing to say that, well, as long as the temple stands, then so stands our salvation. Well, then that, that's not, uh, it's not a sacramental understanding uh, of, of the church, uh, it's not a, it's not even a good understanding of the church, because well, I'll give you an example here at Augustana. This is our second church. You you brought up the beauty of, of Augustana. This is our second church. Uh, the first church was a beautiful, beautiful wooden church. Um, it, you know, it, one of those churches where you you walk in and you you smell. Uh, the wood and you, you you can just smell that the church has been there and been in use for years and years and years. Um, it, it caught fire and burned to the ground. Uh, of course, that is not to say that that was judgment, but we don't put our hope in that church. The church it was rebuilt in brick and mortar uh, and the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord is there in word and in sacrament mm. well to put it in terms uh if, if if i'm correct 
in the way that you put it, put it together uh, is that the people of Ezekiel would have looked at the first church at Augustine and say, well, as long as that church is there, we, we've got it made. Is that? Yeah. And, and to that, to that kind of attitude, the Lord would say, well, no, that's not the case. Right. I mean, yeah, you, right. you, you can have, you can have the church wherever the Lord is present. And that's, I mean, that's the key of the glory of the Lord here is that wherever the glory of the Lord is, that's what makes something the, the temple. And that of course is, you know, the move that you're making for us in, in terms of what this means incarnationally, you know, and, and when this, I mean, as we think about this in our own lives today, it's not wrong to love your church building. You know, you, you should have a certain, uh, you should cherish that place because that is the place where you go to receive the, the body and blood of Jesus, where you go to hear his word into your ears and, and have that faith made, you know, created and sustained in your heart. You should cherish that place, but you shouldn't take that and, and make the, the building an idol. And, and I mean, I think, you know, so there, on the one hand, you, you don't want to despise that place by any means and think, oh, I can just go find the glory of the Lord on the, the fourth hole or whatever, you know, whatever hole you hit the hole in one on, I guess. I don't know what, what hole number that is. But, you know, that's that's not what we're talking about. Um, you know, the glory of the Lord, that's where he promises to be. And, and that's where we want to just hold on to that promise. You know, I'm thinking the sacramental nature of, of what this means. It's not so, it's about the word of the Lord. Wherever his promise is, that's where I run to. And, and if that happens to be in a beautiful building, that's great. If it happens to be, you know, a baptismal font of a cool-up container, that's great too, because I've got the Lord's promise, I've got the Lord's word. So yeah, I, I think that's uh, good Good connections there, Pastor Mize. I know a couple of things, because we are going to run out of time here if we're not careful. I, I think you want to talk a little bit about these angels. Uh, we, we've mentioned that previously. We haven't talked a ton about them and how the angels, they laud, they herald the glory of the Lord. How do we see that in Ezekiel 10? How do we see that, again, as, as we want to connect this to our Lord Jesus Christ? I, I see it very much as, as bookends. Uh, now, here in Ezekiel, this is not the beginning of, of the bookend, but it would you know be somewhere in the, in the middle. Uh, but we certainly have the bookends of uh, the angels being there heralding uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, as well, let's, let's call that the first bookend of, of the angels heralding. And then, of course, we have the angels ministering to Christ uh, after the temptation uh, and showing his his uh, full humanity. And then, of course, uh, at the very end, when they when the angels sat uh, upon the tomb uh, and asked whom are you looking for for christ the one who is risen and so we we find these angels uh all doing the same all doing the same thing uh, proclaiming the presence of the lord or even cooler the presence of the lord that wasn't there you know where god was supposed to be he wasn't there and but but the angels still do their job saying he's not here he is risen. That's where he is. And so they're still doing the same job, proclaiming the presence, the glory of the Lord, uh, that who is Christ. And I find that very much echoed in this part of Ezekiel. Well, and I think, I mean, you could take the, the bookend even farther out where we know that the, the angel will, will be there on, on the last day. You know, that'll, that's part of the angel's job of heralding as well when the Lord returns triumphantly to raise the, the living and the dead to grant eternal life to his, his people in the resurrection. I think that's even, I mean, you go all the way into the book of, of Revelation with this and, and see the bookend all the way there. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. So, Pastor, I'm, go ahead, Pastor Mice. I'll just say I don't, I don't think I can add add anything to that. Well, and I, I think, it, and also too, if if you think about the Book of Revelation, is, is you're talking about this, I was thinking that you know some of the like what we see in terms of the angelic work in the ministry of Christ, you, you get that picture in the Book of Revelation of the angels rejoicing in heaven all the while, and so there's also not just a, a like a the angelic work of heralding this here on earth within the ministry of Christ in a horizontal sense. But if you think about, you know, vertically as well, that, uh, for example, when when anyone, you know, repents and believes, 
Jesus says the angels in heaven rejoice. And so there's a, I, I guess a, not only I don't know I don't know if I'm phrasing this quite well, but maybe you can can help me with it. A horizontal timeline way that this works, but also a vertical way that what happens in the divine service, in terms of the preaching of the word, the reception of the sacrament, there's a an activity of angels in heaven vertically at the same time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we when we have that very thing when we uh, have the proclamation of of the gospel and the reception of the sacrament as you said uh when we receive the the sacrament you know we don't we don't receive it as two churches the church triumphant and the church militant but of one church uh and we both commune together uh and so i i I, and we have that horizontal and and vertical uh presence of the lord right there i think that's kind of what you're what you're pointing at yeah, that, that, that's helpful. I appreciate that, Pastor Mice. We've got about four minutes here on the morning. As you think through Ezekiel 10, this matter of the glory of the Lord that is moving here and how that, how we've talked a lot about it, but help help us to kind of wrap that up, Pastor Mize, you know, summarize what we've talked about, help us with this, the glory of the Lord that we see in Ezekiel 10 and how that's pointing us forward to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, again, we have that glory, that chalice of God uh, that, that 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 great chariot that that and also that movement from uh, well, as you so eloquently put put it pointed out uh, that judgment uh, moving from the temple and then moving again from the temple that first that chapter one movement this chapter ten movement and then eventually to uh, the the Lucan movement and to the John Johann Johannine movement. Uh, to Christ, uh, Christ's conception, Christ's birth, and then on to the uh, the, the passion and the and the resurrection. And then we move further to where Christ is once again found in 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 chalice uh, and in paten, given to us in body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. And then that very presence of God, the glory of God is not only laid upon us, but is fed into us. And then we are sent as monstrances of God out into the world. As, as those who, who bear his name. I, I, I meant to make that connection earlier with you because you were talking about baptism and just the fact that we bear the name of God. And, and you, you brought up the word countenance and, and how the name of God is placed upon us in our baptism and then reminded of us, we, we receive that in the benediction again. And so that, that glory of the Lord is placed upon us. We become temples of the living God. The church becomes the temple of the living God because his presence is with us. This, this presence that we're seeing Ezekiel 10, that's the reality that is ours in the church still today because of the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Gavin Mize is the pastor at Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 1 to 22. Pastor Mize, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I am your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, we would love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.